of you that, well, I wish all you ladies a happy Mother's Day. We, we extend that to, to each of you because we recognize motherhood a little differently in the church and that we remember the words of Jesus when he was told his mother and his brothers and his sisters were waiting on him. And his response is, well, who is my mother and my brothers and my sisters, but those who do the will of the one who sent me, the will of the Heavenly Father. And we recognize we have a pretty broad umbrella. And so we recognize all you ladies for the influence you have on the lives of others. This is a day to bless you, whether it's biological children or grandchildren or, or other people whose God has placed in your life. So we recognize, we, we honor you today, and, and I hope for all of us we can celebrate the memory or the relationship we have with women in our lives that have been influencers and shapers. That may be your mother or grandmother, but there may be other women in your life. In fact, hopefully it's a, it's a, um, a, a number of women that you can celebrate today because we certainly have that and some are you able to be together and that's a joy and if you're like me you celebrate memories on a day like today and that can sometimes be a little bittersweet but uh, but still something we can find reasons to be to be grateful and thankful so I hope this is a wonderful day for you uh, before we get started before we turn to our gospel reading this morning in John chapter 14 I want to share a couple things with you a couple updates one, uh, last week, if you were here in worship, you know that we did a blessing for Jimmy Rackey, Lori Rackey, and um, Lieutenant John Negron, who were part of Team Manatee. And if you've been on social media, you may have been tracking their ride from um, was it Chesapeake up to Washington, D.C. They did arrive safely on Friday, finished their 240-mile bike ride over three days. They did have some rain. They had some well, they said cooler weather. I think it was about 50, so in my book, that's freezing. Um, but uh, they, they did have some of those things, but they made it safely, and I, you know, I look forward to hearing Jimmy's um, sharing about that. And then he turned around and ran the 5K yesterday. So um, you know whether he's going to be getting wheeled off a plane when he comes home in a wheelchair, I don't know. But, but, but I do know, and Jimmy will express this, I'm sure, himself, but I know that they appreciated the prayers and support and encouragement um, that they received. So I wanted just to update you on that. And then I want to share a personal word with you, if I could, for just a moment. Um, about five years ago, about this time five years ago, for those of you, some of you that were, were part of the church then, uh, I stood here. In fact, Kathy, you were chair of the uh, leadership team at the time, and Kathy was, was chair of that. And I shared, um, as I had been given the blessing of the leadership team, that I was beginning doctoral work through the Beeson program at Asbury Theological Seminary. Um, in these years, again, if you've been here each summer, most of the summers I've disconnected for almost a month to either go study up in Kentucky or in trips that I've taken to Seattle, to Houston, and then a little over a year and a half ago to China and Korea. Well, I am thrilled to be able to stand. You don't know how thrilled I am to be able to stand before you let you know on Tuesday morning I will fly to Kentucky where I will be graduating with my doctorate. So, um, and, and I, well, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I, I appreciate that, and, and I'm, I certainly do, and I, I certainly um, am, am thankful for that and, and, and value that. But I, I share that with you largely because you all have been a part of the journey. And I haven't shared some of the trials and tribulations necessarily up here, but I have in many small groups and prayer groups. Many of you have prayed for me and for Tony and for the kids that they've had to put up with me through this. And, um, 
you have been very patient as I've taken these times away and, and supportive. And so um, I do thank you. You have been and, and are a part of this journey. And I will um, be thinking of you as, as I celebrate this um, with, with family this week. And I can confidently say I am not done with learning, but I am done with formal education. Um, so, uh, so we celebrate that. And then I will be going then shortly, for those of you who prayed for my trips, I'll be leaving uh, not too long to go. I get one more trip as part of the program, kind of an after-graduation. It's the first trip I get to go on where they can't give me an assignment to do around it, uh, but I'll be going to Kenya, Africa. And I'll be studying with some, I'll be learning for some church leaders and ministry that's going on there in Nairobi. So who knows what you'll hear about that in the weeks to come. So I uh, cover those prayers. Uh, Reverend um, uh, Jay Morris, Morrison's going to lead and my dad's going to come back and be with you for Sunday, so you'll get some of that in, in the time that I'm away. But, uh, but thank you for your prayers and support. So I wanted to, to share that with you. I hated to do it on Mother's Day, but I wanted to be able to share it with you personally before some of you saw it on social media. So uh, anyway, now let's kind of, there's no smooth transition here, but let's, let's transition to our, our gospel reading today from John uh, chapter 14. These words that, that Jesus speaks. And, you know, actually, before I even get to that, I, I wanted to frame it, get, our, get ourselves thinking a little bit about kind of the context or, or some of the ways I want us to, to kind of reflect this morning. I, I came across a sign in one of those um, kind of um, craft stores that you find. Look how Rustic Rose is, where you go back in the back corner if you've been in Rustic Rose and they have those those etched signs and things. I, I saw one not too long ago. You may have seen it. It's, it's, it makes the rounds, but it's called Mom's Rules, and I thought it was appropriate for Mother's Day. It's called Mom's Rules. It, it says this, if I cook it, you eat it. <laughs> if I buy it, you wear it. If I wash it, you put it away. If I clean it, you keep it clean, right? Um, if I say bedtime, you say goodnight. If I say get off the phone, you hang it up. And if I say no, you don't ask why. That's right. And so I started to think in reference to that, what are some of the rules that maybe we had? And if you want to kind of chime in, you can. But um, any memorable rules that maybe your mom had or, or, or a caregiver, maybe grandmother, somebody that had in the, in the homes or the places you grew up. Any, any kind of rules that kind of, I mean, there's always kind of some standard universal rules. But any, any rules that you remember from, because I said so. That, that's come up at the other service too. Because I said so, which is, which is kind of the, the rationale for whatever rule mom makes up. You're right, don't question, because I said so. Any other ones? This is not a democracy, that's right. Yes, sir. Ask your dad. Yeah, that can go both ways, that rule. Um, yeah. Any others? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, Tony's mom. And if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. That was, uh, that was one. Yeah? Do as I say, not as I do. That's Okay. When you heard the whippoorwill, that's when it was bedtime. You just went. You heard the whippoorwill and you went to bed. Okay, so that's a Massachusetts thing. That's a northern thing. Okay, some of you know. Yes, sir. Be home when the streetlights come on. Yeah, that's a different day and age, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I lived in Jacksonville 
for a number of years. Dad served a church up there. It was on the rough side of town. And we had a similar rule. It was we had to be home when the police helicopter started circling above. <laughs> I wish I was joking about that. Um, sort of am, but, but it's not, not a, not a sh- terrible stretch. All right. Anybody else want to chime in? We've had, yeah. Don't swear. You, yeah. We had one. My mom, my mom was not the um, disciplinarian of our house. Dad was. Um, mom was mom was the safety net dad was dad was the hammer and um and and i say that affectionately in in an appropriate way he's he might listen to this later so i better be careful um but but one of the things kind of in line with in, in our house that mom was very adamant about was for us it wasn't just it certainly was was foul language but it was the, the name of god the name of god was to be spoken respectfully worshipfully reverently it was never to be and um, uh, you know, an exclamation when you were frustrated, or or um, you know, it was never to be used. So w- when that happened, as, as kids sometimes we do, you know, in her way, she wasn't an aggressive, domineering kind of woman, but but she got her point across that that was that was not behavior that that was tolerated in in the home, and so we we learned that at an early age, and um and we have those. I, I saw a couple other ones. One was like um, one woman shared um, that her mom's rule was never chase. Never chase a bus or a man. Um, the other one I wrote a couple of them down was um, never date a man prettier than you. And, um, and, and then a good one for all of us, especially in, in this day and age, never write anything down you wouldn't want your mother or your grandmother to read. Um, and boy, that could be a real, that's a good social media application right there. But the idea is, is that the rules, the the the, the the things that frame our lives and some of the choices and some of these things that, that um, have kind of shaped us and, and hopefully our behavior. Because on a Mother's Day, what we do is we really celebrate those who, who have had an impact in shaping who we've become. And very often, who we've become is, is given credibility, given testimony, if you will, by the, by the choices we make and, and the lives that we lead. And uh, Jesus has something to say about that. And it begins for us at verse 15. This is John, again, chapter 14, verse 15. And and this is what he says. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. We might say, follow my rules. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. The Father will love them, and we we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not 
I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Brothers and sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, indeed, speak to our spirits, our hearts, our minds. Shape our lives by what we profess and what we do, that we would be in the very likeness of Christ, shaped by your Holy Spirit, empowered by your presence, and obedient to your call. These moments, Lord, are yours. Do with them as you wish. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Jesus is is kind of giving a promise, or not kind of, he's giving a promise. He's, he's giving something here to his disciples, preparing them for, for what is to come. You know, he's, he's in this journey toward Jerusalem, he's in this journey toward, toward the cross and his crucifixion and, and what we know to be his resurrection and their days that will follow, but, but he knows a time is coming when, when he will no longer be with his disciples as they have known him to be with them. He will no longer be, them in, be with them in flesh in the way that we most often experience relationships. And so he, he's giving them an assurance. They, they don't understand this at the time. They will in, in retrospect. But, but he's saying to them, even when you do not see me any longer, I will still be with you. The Father and I will be with you. And he's giving this promise of what we know to be the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, the one who would rain down upon those disciples on the day of Pentecost, the one who fills our lives when we open our hearts to Jesus, who comes to be and at work in and through us. It is the presence of Christ, the presence of God. And so it's this promise that he's given and this, this assurance that he's not leaving. That's, Never will I leave you. I, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. The world will not see me, but you will see me. You will know I'm there. And his presence shapes us in, in very specific and, and, and particular ways. And it shapes us for something. And that for something is obedience. That's the, the refrain that, that comes up repetitively in this text. Jesus constantly talks about keep my commands, obey my law. It is this necessary response of faith which says that we live in submission to the will of God. Four times he talks about that, either in the positive or in the negative. Either obey or those who don't know me will not obey. But it is this, this message that with faith, with this gift that God gives, with this grace that we celebrate and that we proclaim and we're thankful for, that, that free gift of God, comes an expectation of how we respond to it. And that response gets lived out. That action becomes Obedience. And obedience is a willingness to submit to the will of God in our lives. And, and that word is a trigger word for us now. Submit is not a word that we like very much in, in the larger culture. Because we live in, in a world that very often wants to tell us that, that we are our own authority. You are your own authority. You decide what's right for you. I decide what's right for me as long as I'm not harming you and you're not harming me. Live and let live. 
And at some level, that sounds okay, right? Well, if I'm not harming anybody, what's the big deal? Well, I guess it really comes down to what harm looks like and what it means for us. But, but that's not our faith. Jesus says that the part of our call is to be obedient to the Father, is to be willing to submit to the authority of God in our lives. And the scriptures testify to that over and over, the, the expectation God has for his people, that we will live in submission to his will. And, and as I said, that, that's challenging for us. And it's something that we don't see very often, but it becomes fundamentally important in our faith walk. It becomes fundamentally important in our walk of life across the board. There are just places in our lives we need to be submissive. We need to be obedient to a, an authority beyond ourselves. I uh, read occasionally, I have a friend whose son is a, a very talented young athlete and has aspirations for college um, athletics someday. And he will occasionally post articles uh, on social media uh, that kind of give advice and suggestions and, and um, speak wisdom into the lives of, of athletes, young athletes, but I think it's pretty universally applicable. And he was talking about the way that they scout, or very often scout young athletes today. Friday night, we went um, with some of, some of you were there, we went with some church family, to the Faith and Family Night at Bradenton Marauders game. And we're sitting kind of behind home plate with really good seats. There were a couple guys that were sitting to our left in a row behind us that had their iPads and they were taking notes the whole time. And Cassie actually looked at me, she said, Dad, are they scouts? And I said, probably. And we didn't talk to them, I'm not sure. But they looked like they were scouts. Maybe scouting for another team. They were taking notes the whole time. I've been around ball fields enough to know, you know, kind of the look and, and the gesture of scouts. And they're just constantly recording things. And they were doing what we most often associate scouts to do with athletes. They were documenting the measurables. You know, how fast does he pitch? How quick does he run? You know, the things that can be can be calculated, if you will, the, the things if you follow sports and combines and things, how much do they lift, um, you know, how well do they block, the things we can visually see on a, on a playing field. But it was interesting, back to this article that, uh, that I was reading, it was talking about the way that the extra component that scouts are often doing nowadays, and that is for high school athletes, they will go into the schools. Coaches will know, teachers, the people that need to know they will there, but the athletes won't know that they're there. The athletes won't know who they are. And they go in not to watch the kids practice. They go in not to watch them play. They go to watch them interact on a daily basis. They go into a weight room, and, they just, and they're not watching to see how much they lift. They're watching to see how obedient they are to the instructions of their coaches. They try to, they try to observe as much as they can in the classroom to see how obedient they are to the instructions of a teacher or with their parents. They're looking to see whether they appropriately have a willingness to submit to authority because it is something that's being lost in, in our generations very often, this willingness to submit. There's a story from the 70s. Uh, Tommy Nelson, I believe, wrote a book, The 12 Essential, um, 12 Essential Godly Characteristics, and he talked about submission. And in his book, he talked about a scout in the 70s that was recruiting a player out of Texas, a football player, running back, who had star written all over him. And, and he was talking to the coach one day. And, and the scout said, how many Heisman trophies do you think this kid's going to win? And the coach looked at him and said, he'll never play down in college. And the scout couldn't believe it because the kid 
just had everything, all the talent in the world. Well, as this young athlete's um, story unfolded, he left four colleges. Two he got kicked out of, two he, two he quit. Never played a down of college football. And this is why, and this is exactly what the coach said to that scout when he was in high school. He won't submit. He won't submit to coaches. He won't submit to teachers. He won't submit to his parents. He will not listen and do as he's asked. There's no sense of obedience in him if we want to use the language that Jesus uses. Because it is important and it matters. And Jesus asks us to have that same kind of a heart, a willingness to be obedient, to submit not to what we want, but to what God wants for us. To be willing to, to be obedient to, to the commands that Christ speaks. We talk so much about grace as we should, as that free gift of God. But we remember that there's a response to that, and that response is obedience. As James would say, faith without works is dead. And Jesus calls us that in the Old Testament, they were called to live their lives by those commands that God spoke for how they, those Ten Commandments that they, that they used to, to govern their relationships with each other and their relationship with God. And then Jesus comes along and he gives us an example of the way that we live our lives. What are the commands of Jesus? What does a life lived in submission to Jesus look like? Well, it begins to look like Jesus. So it's a life that models the things that Jesus calls us to, such as loving our neighbor. Jesus talked a lot about that. Praying for our enemies. That's what a life of submission to Jesus looks like. It's not easy. Caring for the poor and the marginalized and the afflicted and the broken and the forgotten about. When you have done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it to me. Not giving in to the power structures of this world that, that, that value um, life by accomplishment, material, and influence, but rather a life that is valued by service and sacrifice. That's what submission to Jesus looks like. And Jesus says, obey my commands. Obey my commands. So the actions of faith are obedience. But the motivation of obedience is love. The action is is obedience, but the motivation is love. And that's the second half of the equation. Four times Jesus talks about obey my commandments. Six times he says this, if you love me. If you love me. The, the flow of obedience is important. We do not submit ourselves to the will of God out of fear. We do not submit ourselves to the will of God because God seeks to dominate us but rather because God loves us. And because he has placed around his children commands that are meant not to stifle life, but to liberate us, to free us for the abundant life that he offered. We talked about that abundant life last week. God speaks commands to us through Jesus out of his love for us. And so we recognize that the motivation of our obedience is our love for our Heavenly Father, who has unconditionally shown His love to us. And, and, and that's the reality. You know, we talked about these rules that maybe your mothers or other people in your life had growing up. Well, this is what I think we all intrinsically know. 
growing up when we have rules. We don't always like them. Sometimes we push back against them. But do we not know that they're always in place out of love? And when a mother says to us, hey, don't sit so close to the TV, even as a little child. We don't might not like it. But I think even as a kid, we recognize that that's being spoken because there's somebody that cares enough about us to not want us to be in detrimental positions. Or, hey, make sure you put your jacket on. It's cold outside. You know, simple rules, but they're meant to provide protection for us. To kind of guide us. You know, you know the most unhealthy environment that a child can be raised in spiritually, emotionally, and physically? You know the most unhealthy environment that a child can be lived in, can be raised in? Anybody want to guess? What's that? There's no rules. Yeah, submissive. Raise a child in a submissive, I mean, in a, in a um, permissive, thank you, in a permissive environment, in an environment where there is no boundaries, where he or she gets everything they want. We, we think that sounds wonderful, but, but what psychologists and child psychologists and sociologists will tell you is that young people crave boundaries. They crave rules. Now, now there's not a teenager in the world that's going to tell you that. We wouldn't have. Not one of us would have went, hey, mom, dad, could you put a few more on me? Don't, you know, a few more. We don't because most of us had it. But when a child doesn't have it, and, and Hannah, you probably see this in, in your work, all the, when a child doesn't have that, they crave it because why? They know rules and boundaries mean somebody loves them. Somebody cares about them. And, and that's what we celebrate today, the people that care about us. We, we you know, Ryan deals with this. We... Tony and I, when, in fact, last night, he, he went out to uh, Anna Marie for a friend's graduation party. And when he does those things, we kind of say, okay, Ryan, here's the rule. Give us a glimpse. Now, that may not mean anything to you. Some of you may know. Glimpses I've talked about before. It's an app on the phone. He triggers it, and it means we can see where he is, where he's going, and when he got there. Now, to his credit, let me say this, he's never complained about it. He's never, at least outwardly. He might inwardly, but he's never complained about it outwardly. I would have. I would have hated it. But here's the thing. I think, without speaking for him, what he knows is we ask for that not because we don't trust him, not because we think he's going to go somewhere he shouldn't. We want to know we got there safe. We want to know that if there was a problem, we could find him in, in an instant and get to where he is. It's not a rule meant to inhibit his life, but rather to express our love in, 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 in having that life lived in, in, a, in a safe and a healthy way. That's what, what God wants for us. That's what he wants for his children. He wants us to embrace life and to, in a community and relationship, express that and, and experience that in fullness. The laws, the rules, the commands are not meant to frighten us, but really to free us. To, to experience the blessing of all that life that he's created it to be. And so for us, obedience is important, but it's birthed out of love. It's birthed out of a recognition of God's love for us. On a day when we celebrate motherhood, and whatever that may mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a celebration of love. We remember a God whose love is infinitely greater than, than anything we can begin to imagine. There's a, a story I, I came across few years ago, but I thought it was a wonderful um, example for us to, to kind of close with today. And uh, it comes from, well, the date maybe is familiar to some of you if you're a sports fan. 
The date was April 8th, 1974. Anybody know what happened on April 8th, 1974? Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron. On April 8th, 1974, Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run record. So those of you that are baseball fans might remember Aaron played for the Atlanta Braves, Fulton County Stadium, playing the Dodgers, Al Downing on the mound, and uh, Hammer and Hank launched it out into uh, to left field for that record-breaking home run. What you may not remember is that leading up to that, and I believe he was tied with the record through the offseason, so they had an offseason, he got probably thousands of letters of hate mail and threats and violence and people that didn't want him to break that record, and, and his life was threatened in, in many, uh, many ways. In fact, if I recall, and I'm not sure about this, but I think there were actually armed snipers on the, the roofs around the stadium when he broke. I, I wouldn't say that definitively because that's just kind of in my memory bank. But anyway, he breaks that record. If you've seen the video, you know, he rounds second base as he's being congratulated by the Dodgers player. He rounds second base and two teenagers ran onto the field and they flanked him on left and right and ran with him, which was a very, very dangerous thing for them to do. But fortunately, it was okay and they meant no harm. But when he, when he rounds third and he comes to home, he gets the home plate, surrounded by his teammates, celebrating. I think his dad was there. But as he starts to come off home the plate, all of a sudden, if you watch the video, he gets engulfed in this giant bear hug by a 68-year-old mother. Pat Williams tells the story of the conversation that happened in that moment. And he says that, that Hank grabs his mom, and in her ear, he whispers, Mom, what are you doing here? <laughs> and as she's in this bear hug, she just says, because, son, if, they ha if they're going to get you, talking about the threats, they got to get me first. If they're going to get you, they got to get me first. What a powerful example of a mother's love that says, I will do anything for my son. I will do anything. Well, I think about that bear hug, and I think about a God who envelops us with that same kind of love, who says, not only will I go before you, but I will give my life. And Jesus, who gives his life so that it can't get to you. The worst that life has to offer is death. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. I've taken care of it. It's the love of a father who sacrifices his son so that we can have life. And out of that love that he has for us, we're called to obedience. We're called to faithfulness. Let that be the motivation. The action of love is obedience. The action of love is faithfulness. The action of love is love, because that's the way of Jesus. That that would be the, the testimony of our lives. And that we would feel that embrace, like a mother embracing her son, that embrace of God upon each of us. And out of that love, we'd be moved to faithfulness and to obedience. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we, uh, we are thankful for your love. And uh, that our obedience would be a testimony of our gratitude, of our acceptance of that love. As we seek to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus, because you have first loved us. So Lord... We thank you for your grace, but, but move us in the directions toward the, the practices and behaviors that honor you, and that we would witness to our faith in all that we say. 
into all that we do. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.